Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me, every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Neely Tubati Alexander is the author of Love Buzz, a novel. This episode is guest hosted by Julie Chavez, host of the podcast, Ask a Librarian, and author of the upcoming memoir, Everyone But Myself. Neely is the author of Women's Fiction with Rom-Com Feels You Can Escape Into with a Smile. Her debut novel, Love Buzz, is from Harper Perennial. She is originally from the Seattle area and currently resides in Arizona with her husband and two elementary-aged children. If she's not tucked away at a little desk in her bedroom writing, you can find her at some kiddo activity, drinking wine, or watching reality television, usually the last two together. Neely, thanks so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to talk about Love Buzz. I'm so happy you're here. Thank you. Yes, I'm excited to be here. I'm a fan of the podcast, so it's fun to be on. Oh, I'm so thrilled that you were able to join us and that I got to be the one to interview you because I was so excited when I got this book and was reading about the details. I think it was perfect for me because both my boys were born in Seattle. We lived there for nine years. So I loved 
reading about all the details and Chamber Hill felt so real to me. So let's, before I start, uh, <laughs> start emoting too much, let's back up. Will you tell listeners a little bit about the book for us? Yeah, so Love Buzz is a women's fiction novel um, with strong rom-com elements about a woman named Serena who goes to a bachelorette party during Mardi Gras in New Orleans. And she meets this guy on the last night of the trip. And it is this sort of serendipitous, kismet type of meeting. She has never sort of felt the way she felt when she met him. And their interaction is cut short rather abruptly. And they don't exchange contact information or anything like that. So she goes home to Seattle, not knowing how to contact this guy. And she decides she's going to find him based on the short list of clues that she has based on the conversation and interaction that they did have. So along the way, she sort of starts to unravel her life. And it really is a story about self-discovery more than the romance or the guy. He's sort of just the catalyst for all of these other things that happen within her life as a result of, of this change. Wow. Very good job on that description. You must have been practicing that. <laughs> Thank you. I feel like it comes out very different every time, but I don't know. <laughs> no. And I have to say, there is a ton of buzz around Love Buzz. I've seen it on so many lists and oh, I'm so excited that it's going to find its way. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really well done. So we'll talk a little bit more about just specific things that I really, really thought you did well. This is your debut novel and it read so smoothly. I mean, it felt very like you're already a pro. Well, thank you. Yeah, that doesn't come without a lot of edits, as you well know. But. Oh, bless those editors, right? What would we do without them? Well, okay, so I'd like to start with, you used the word serendipitous when you were describing it, and I was reading some of your stuff, and that you were a fan of Serendipity, the movie, yeah. which I only find mildly depressing that it's now a classic, because I saw oh, it no. in the theater. So <laughs> I'm like, but I, I am such a huge fan of that movie, and I was so excited to read that. Yeah, I love that movie. And, you know, it's with it's Kate Beckinsale and John Cusack. I think it was early 90s, mm-hmm. maybe early 2000s. Whatever. Yeah, I think so. But, you know, it's a really great conversation starter of, you know, does love at first sight exist? And, you know, how far are you willing to go to track someone down that you really don't know much about? And I've just always sort of been infatuated with that idea of, you know, is it a thing and does it exist? And it was a great opportunity to explore that. So did you have love at first sight in your personal life? (laughs) So I don't know that I actually (laughs) truly believe in love at first sight. I definitely believe that we have connections with people, romantic or otherwise, right? Where you you meet someone and you're on the same wavelength or you have the same, you know, energy vibe and you just immediately know this person was meant to be in your life in some capacity. I think we've all experienced that at one point or another. And if we're lucky, you know, more than once. Mm -hmm. And so I definitely had that type of interaction. The, pragmat, the pragmatist in me and kind of the, the naysayer in me says that love at first sight isn't necessarily a thing, but there is a level of connection that it can be significantly greater, right, with certain people than with others. So I definitely had that. Okay. That makes total sense. And I agree. There are people that you meet and it's a similar sensibility, something, and you think this was meant to be. Right. So it is. That's such a great feeling when that happens, as opposed to the opposite, which is let's never talk again. <laughs> Those <laughs> Haven't we all? I really enjoyed the idea behind the book. When I'm following along with Serena, I think I really identified with her in a lot of ways. And especially something that you had written in some of the materials was that all that separates us from ourselves, I'm paraphrasing, but basically what's separating ourselves from 
us and the life we want to live is only a few brave decisions. And is that something that you set out to do? So when you set out to write the book, did you know that you wanted it to go the way it did? I don't want to give anything away, but did it, or did you see that as you went along? I think I saw it as I went along. I'm a pantser. You know, I don't really outline. I know the beginning and an end of a story, but not much more beyond that. And so the story really started with the meet cute. That was what I knew I wanted to write. That's what I started with. I don't necessarily usually write in order either, but in that, you know, that was the starting scene and that was what I began the story with. And so from there, it just sort of took on a life of its own. And I sort of wrote myself into a bit of a corner, right? Where they, they, you know, she, they leave and they don't have contact information. And so are they going to be together again? And at what point will they come back together again? Right. And so the story really evolved into being more about Serena than it did about this love story for a multitude of reasons. But I think mostly because it was her story and about her life and kind of what you know, was going on in her life and beyond just this kind of romantic encounter. And I do, you know, I think a lot of us kind of have these someday dreams or these things that we think about doing, but we don't actually, you know, vocalize or take steps to doing. And, you know, the idea that you're only a couple of decisions away, it makes things feel less daunting and less, you know, less, you have to tip your world upside down to be able to achieve these types of things that you want to. And I think we also sometimes wake up and look around and and say, how did I get mm-hmm. here? Right. And not really realizing that you haven't looked up and said, is this where I actually want to be? So I love the idea of sort of blowing everything up and starting over. And, you know, what would that look like? Yeah, that's such a good question. Was becoming a writer a someday dream for you? It was. I always said I would write a book. You know, it was very much a one day type of thing. And then, you know, we have kids and you know, other things take priorities. We get a real job, right? Yep. And so it was always something I wanted to do. I always had, you know, I think like a lot of authors, I had folders on my computer of, you know, 10,000 words here and 20,000 words here and books that I started and never finished or ideas, but just never really gave it the attention that it needed. Mm-hmm. And then COVID hit and like a lot of us, you know, I found my creative flow during that time. And that was the first time I sat down and finished something from start to finish. And I think once you finish a book for the first time, and I'm curious what your thoughts are, because I know you have a book coming out too early next year, which I want to hear about. But, you know, once you do it once, you feel sort of, it's an unlocking of, okay, I can do this, right? And then you have the ability to start and finish a book. So you can replicate that in a way that I think becomes easier and more accessible than it was before you you did that. So that was really the turning point, I think, for me was being able to get a book written from start to finish, regardless of whether it was any good, right? Just being able to tell the story from start to finish. Yes. And as you said earlier, I mean, we we look at a finished book and it's easy to think of it in that form yeah. and and sort of place that in in the raw sense. And that is not the truth of it, right? It starts out as one thing and then you have so many people that are able to help you usher it forward. So you're right. Finishing is the name of the game, right? Just even if it's ugly and gross. Yes. So did you find, it sounds like writing was a refuge for you through the pandemic. So you found your creative flow. Was that, how did you carve out that time? Because I know you have two young kids and even in COVID, it felt like things were just, you know, all tossed up and we were waiting for everything to resettle. So how did that work for you? It wasn't easy. I had an online kindergartner and a toddler. Nightmare. Nightmare. Online kindergarten is is not done on one's own. <laughs> it requires a lot of support. And then my husband and I were both working from home. I run a small business, so I was, you know, feeling the hit of of 
the business in and of itself. We mm-hmm. were all on top of each other. And so I started at the end of the day, locking myself in our guest room. And I started looking forward to that time. And I truly viewed it as self-care time. It was the thing I was looking forward to when we were all very stressed and we had so much going on and the world was uncertain. And I I really started to look at, look at it as self-care. Mm-hmm. And it was a thing that I I ended up looking forward to during the day. So I would go in the clo- I would go in the get go in the closet. No, I would go in the guest room <laughs> and lock the door, pretend I was at a hotel or a resort or somewhere anywhere else, right? Oh. And I would write. And you know, sometimes it happened, sometimes it didn't, but it really was the consistency. I think that it was the momentum I needed to get up to past the point of just another draft into the mm-hmm. point of finishing. That's a really lovely way to think about it, even though. You know, hopefully life doesn't feel like that now, but there is something twisting the narrative to feel like writing can be self-care and that this can be something that you look forward to as opposed to dread. Because sometimes there's a lot of that, right? Like, And there is an element, I'm sure, of showing up and putting your butt in the chair. But I think that's a really neat way to think about it. And what a gift it sounds like that you had a partner to wrangle the small people while you were there. Did you have a white noise machine? Did you lock the door? (laughs) I did lock the door. (laughs) Did you barricade it? (laughs) I did lock the door. Yes. No, there was a lot of time for you guys to go to the park, but no, yeah, you find a way. And I, I certainly realized I had circumstances and support that a lot of people don't, you know, and I was certainly fortunate to have that for sure. Yeah. But it is nice to think about it, even if it were less chunks for other people who might be listening, who are thinking about wanting to do this, it is, where can I carve out this space and how do I prioritize it as something I do for me, not just a someday when? Yeah. I love hearing that. This book is really funny. I really laughed out loud at some of the lines. I will say she expected a life full of grand gestures and easily won orgasms was a favorite. And the first line of the book, like so many of them were just funny and quippy and you did such a good job with that. Do you like to be funny? Are you a funny person or are you funny on the page? That's so funny. I, you know, well, first of all, thank you. Cause humor is so subjective, right? Of course. So you hope things will land and you hope that people will find them amusing, but you never know, right? Especially when out of context on a page, you know, you don't get the delivery of someone on screen, right? So it's totally. all more challenging to have humor come across. I think it's a lot easier to be funny on the page, though, because you can set up your own jokes, (laughs) right? (laughs) You're so right. The dialogue kind of go the way that you need it to go. Being quick-witted is not the same as being funny on a page, right? So I'd say I'm funnier on a page more so than I am quick-witted. But yeah, you have the time to really build and develop that joke, right? Versus having something on the fly come out. But I appreciate that you you found humor because that's always a, you know, again, it's a hard thing to to sometimes have come across on the page. Well, you're so right. And not knowing kind of what the reader brings to it and what their sensibility might be, that that makes sense. But you're right. You are setting up your own jokes. Gosh, that kind of control. I need more of that in regular life, right? Right, exactly. Everyone wait for this. It's coming. It's going to be great. I'm really funny if I can control the entire (laughs) narrative. Yeah. That's the kind of person. Yeah, I think anyone would want to be friends with that sort of person, right? Come to dinner with me and just be an experiment in my funniness. Exactly. It's going to be great. You also talked about how this book in some ways was a tribute to Seattle. And what was hilarious is it probably was like maybe a third of the way in that I thought I was really confused as to whether Chamber Hill was a neighborhood I had never heard of. Because I thought I knew them all. And so I was just thinking, 
where is this exactly? So when I read the acknowledgments, I felt much better. And, you know, I went through and figured that out because I was like, I think I'm losing it. But you captured Seattle so well. And all of these little references that I think people from the Pacific Northwest will know and really enjoy. So that's where you're originally from, right? I am. Yeah. I grew up in Seattle, uh, well, in Washington in the suburbs, but I left when I was 18. I came to Arizona where I live now, where I continue to live. I've spent now more of my life here than I, than I did in in the Seattle area. And I never experienced it as an adult. Mm. I've gone back to visit and I, you know, still have family there, but you know, it's a very different experience growing up somewhere and being an adult somewhere. And I wanted to do it justice. I didn't want it to feel like someone who had never been there, especially if I grew up there. Yes. So I took kind of all of the areas and kind of the feelings of living in the area rather than the specific city. Yes. So as I said in the acknowledgments, you know, it was kind of based off of multiple cities and Mm -hmm. kind of multiple experiences. But overall, more than anything, I tried to capture the feeling of growing up in the Pacific Northwest which I hope I I did, but that was that was why I made up the city because I it was sort of an out for me to not have to you know not do it well. Quite frankly, that was really smart. Actually, <laughs> I really like that idea because I think yeah, you don't have to worry about streets or really where anything's located. That's that was a really good uh, good hack. <laughs> you heard it here first, everyone. This is good this cheap. is where yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly set up your own jokes, make up a city. I mean, I feel like that's so much. Writing for dummies. Here we go. Well, I think you and I can co-write it. This is going to be great. That'll be our next thing, co-authoring. There we go. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything. It might be time to work on those things, and I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help. And I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy, and you'll get a perfect 
therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms don't have time. I wanted to ask you, there's also, so this book is funny. It's really well paced. It's, it was just a joy to read and I really devoured it. The thing I liked about it though, is that it did have a lot of heart. And I like when you describe it, that you're saying it is women's fiction and, you know, it has those rom-com elements. And I think we're seeing more of that, right? Where there's kind of a, a middle ground where readers do want a little bit more than just one of those lines. And did you know that when you started? Was that, did you have a lane in mind where you wanted to land? I don't think I knew it when I started, but I definitely appreciated what it turned into. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think Emily Henry is a great example of someone in the genre who does depth so well. And it's like you said, not something that we really have historically had in the romance or in women's fiction space, more so the romance space, but there's huge opportunity for that. I think she's a great example of that. And, you know, it's a multidimensional conversation, you know, women's fiction, the genre title in and of itself is is somewhat problematic, right? Because it infers that only women want to read about women, but um, the idea that because a story is romance, that there can't be other elements and that there isn't this sort of total whole person that is part of this story, you know, that I think that's certainly changing and we're seeing it more and more. And, you know, I, I liked the idea of there being romance and lighter elements, but that there's also a depth to the story. And, you know, it was a challenge to try to pull off both quite frankly, but I think the story is better for it. I would agree completely. And I think you're right. It would be better for us to, I mean, our language always lags, You know, so I feel like this is one of those examples where that is true, because I wouldn't call this women. It's not fiction only for women. It's a wonderful fiction book, but it's it's tough because we get stuck. And then, you know, the world of marketing, you got to sell the thing. People want to know. Right. Yeah. And that's I mean, and the marketing component is so interesting, too, because we've you know, it's sort of been marketed as a romance, as a as a rom-com. And it's sort of in that space. And, you know, some readers have said this is not a romance, right? And so there's there's certain tropes and, you know, things that people want out of that space. But ultimately, you know, it kind of sits in the shelf between two things and that makes it somewhat difficult to market, right? So it's been interesting to see sort of how it finds its way. And you have to just kind of at some point trust that it's going to find the readers that are right for it. And I think my marketing team has done a great job of, of kind of positioning it that way. But it is interesting to see kind of true romance readers, what their reaction is versus women's fiction readers who maybe don't read as much romance and kind of seeing how it how it pulls those two groups together. Totally. The romance readers of America know what they want. Yes. They are, they are clear on that and they're going to let you know. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> Very much so. Do you read your reviews? I know I'm supposed to say no, but as a debut, you know, I have it on Goodreads uh, and yeah. I've gone and looked at the things and I think it's, it's been less I shouldn't say it's less about validation. It is about validation because as a debut author, you receive validation in, in specific ways leading up to publication, right? You receive it from the people that you know, believe in the book. And so it's your editor, it's your agent, it's your publisher. And that's phenomenal. They are incredibly important people to receive validation from, if not the most important people kind of early on. Right. Yeah. But you don't get it from 
the everyday reader who is going to find your book on a shelf and, you know, perhaps pick it up and kind of, did they find it to be accessible and enjoyable and kind of the things that you want it to be, right? So it is the first real feel for how it's going to be received. Yeah. It is being received. So yes, I have looked. <laughs> I'm I'm impressed. I can't decide. I, I'm sure I won't be able to stop myself. Like it is a lack of self-control mostly that is the reason I have, I don't have a good justification for doing it. My my, my true justification is I have a lack of (laughs) self-control of being able to not look. I got to do it. I think that's totally going to be me. Are you so true yet? No. Okay. They, yeah. And it's been through many iterations, but hearing what you're saying is so right. Like you need that you need, I think, in that process to only be surrounded by those people that are on your team believing in it because it's so tricky and rife with change and all the pieces. But then the idea that then it's going to go out to other people. Yeah, I haven't decided. I wrote a memoir and I alternately am like, this was a good idea. And I think this might have been a terrible idea. So we'll, memoir we'll find out. hard because, you know, it is you. And, <laughs> yeah. is, you know, I made these people up. So if you didn't like one of them... Okay. You know, it might sting a little bit, but okay. I mean, memoir is a whole different. It will be. I will be calling you when this comes out and I'm on Goodreads. I'll be like, I couldn't stop myself. I I will say with the reviews, you know, it, you have to be capable of not letting it get in your head because not only from a self-esteem perspective, (laughs) right, but also because, you know, it can color how you approach your next work. And I'm editing book two right now. And, you know, I don't want to be thinking about reviews, right? If someone wanted more of this or less of this, right? That's going to lead to an inauthentic experience when writing the book or when editing the book. So I will say I've had to take a bit of a step back because even with positive reviews, you're, you don't want to be influenced by kind of what people are saying, right? That makes total sense. Having boundaries around that and how it works for you, depending on where you are, right? Like I've talked to many people who say when they're editing fiction, they don't read a lot of fiction, and mm-hmm. when they're so that same sort of idea that you have to protect yourself from that, it's so true. And ultimately, you know, I think everyone hopes that we all know that not every book is going to be for every reader. And hopefully, your book finds the people it's meant to find, right. just like serendipity. I mean, it really <laughs> is like full circle. I did want to talk real quick before we finish about what we were kind of circling around, which is the heart in this book. There's really a lot of beautiful. There's a real honoring of what it is to grieve someone in your life as you move on through life and they are no longer with you. And I thought you did a really beautiful job of that. Was that something that you drew on personal experience for, if I may ask? Yeah, no, I'm lucky enough to have both my parents still still living. Okay. Rena loses her mother in the story. She's already mm-hmm. lost her mother, but it's kind of the reconciling of. But I think you know, we've all experienced grief in some ways. And I certainly have had friends who've lost parents and this idea that you can't sort of quarrel with them anymore. Right. And yes, it's much easier to argue with someone who is here Mm. right, than to argue with the remnants of someone who is not right. And so this idea that Serena is now going to be living a life that she knows her mom maybe wouldn't approve of or wasn't the direction she wanted her to go. You can't go have it out with her, right? It's just that level of disappointment that is lingering and that's it. And so, you know, this idea that grief shows up kind of in different ways and it may take seven steps back and then leap forward and, you know, inopportune times. I think this is a great example, or at least was I tried to make an example of one of those times where 
you know, it could be X number of years since this happened, but it'll leap forward in times when, you know, you either need that person or wish they were here or when you're doing something that you think that they wouldn't approve of. So it's not from personal experience of losing a parent. Thankfully, I don't, I haven't gone through that, but I certainly think that grief in that way is, is similar regardless of, of who it is. If it's someone yeah. You're so right. Not only sharing the happy moments, but then also how would they feel about what I'm doing now? That's a really good question. Who's one person? Do you have someone that's no longer with you that you wish could read this book? Oh gosh. Um, I don't know. I mean, I would say grandparents, but I had very conservative Indian grandparents who probably wouldn't appreciate <laughs> this. Wouldn't have been their jam. The chapters in this book would not be their jam. So I don't know that I can say yes to that question, which makes me very fortunate. That's wonderful. Uh, yeah. What a gift. I, I don't think my grandparents would be the right audience. <laughs> you could show them the cover. Yes, exactly. They would love the cover, I'm sure. <laughs> very pleased. Yeah. <laughs> that's, well, that's a gift for sure. And real quickly, what are you working on now? You were mentioning you're in edits for the second book. Yeah. So book two is in edits. I'm turning it in hopefully in the next couple of days. So I'm kind of at the very end of the editorial process. Probably one more round, but okay. we go to copy edits and it is coming out in March of next year. So we have a date or a general timeline for it. Leans more into kind of the true rom-com space. Okay. So fiction, more kind of true rom-com. And then I'm drafting book three, which will kind of be again, kind of an amalgamation of both. So I like kind of you know, moving in and out of, of both spaces. That's so thrilling. Good for you. Thank Have you. you enjoyed the second time? Yeah. You know, it's a much different experience. Yeah. The going through production on one and lead up to the release while also working on another, it's a lot. Oh, and we always have, I mean, we're moms, right? So we're always torn in multiple directions. You never have a singular focus, no matter what, but nope. Going through your debut process, having the singular focus of just that that book is really special and unique. And you get to sort of experience it all for the first time. And then going through the second time, it's not that you're more jaded, right? But you you have a better sense of how things go. So in some ways, it's easier. Um, in some ways, it's harder because you're also going through the process still in a different phase for book one. So yeah, it's a very different experience than the first one. That makes total sense. You're right. The sort of shiny side of the debut that's so thrilling and wonderful, but also then, yeah, to go back and do it again, easier, but maybe a little less shiny. Yeah. Or what about you? Are you drafting an, another book? Well, funny enough, I just went on a podcast about all my issues with Camille Pagan. I don't know if you've ever read any of her books, but she does a podcast called You Should Write a Book. And so I went on there talking about that because I have about 12,000 words of my next project. But for me, it was a one step forward, one step back on edits. I thought I was done, but it turned out I wasn't, which is like everyone's story, right? So now we're close, but I need to go back to it. And for me, it's been tricky because I've left it for too long and that allows me time to overthink. I'm a major overthinker. So the real thing. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It No self-control overthinking. Like I feel like we've covered a lot here in terms of <laughs> My character flaws. This is great. <laughs> this is perfect. <laughs> Last question for you. What does writing mean to you in your life? Not only for you personally, but is it something that helps you show up for your people and the people you love and how? I love that question. Yes. You know, 
it's easy for us as moms to feel guilty, right? Mm -hmm. We feel feel guilt for everything, big or small. We're constantly filled with guilt, right? But I, and so I do feel guilty at times taking time for quote unquote myself, right? To do this and time away from the kids or, and you know, my husband goes to work and then comes home and then he's present. And different for me as a writer, right? Because I may be home, but locking myself in a room or not fully present because my mind is on these pages. And so I definitely feel the guilt of that sometimes. But I also think more than anything, my kids are seeing me pursue my dreams. Mm -hmm. Yesterday, we went to Barnes and Noble and to my surprise, my book was on the shelf early. So it was the first time I saw it on a shelf and my kids were with me and they got to see that. And that was a really cool experience. And so, you know, they to the capacity in which they can understand it. Right. Um, my daughter who's five really cares about the fact that her name is in the book and, you know, of course, and, and thinks that's the coolest thing ever. So, <laughs> you know, that's the extent of her interest. My son really doesn't care, but <laughs> you know, but they, they're getting to see me live out my dreams and be excited about things and an excitement level that I never had, you know, in my, my quote unquote regular job. So So I think more than anything, I'm showing them what it's like to pursue your dreams. And that means sometimes sacrificing things and time, but ultimately, Mm -hmm. you know, it's worth it. I think you're right. And I think you are definitely showing them your own brave decision in it, that you are really close. So I love, I love hearing that. And I think that they will be so proud of you, you know, as they grow, because they'll understand more kind of what it meant and what you did. So You did a fantastic job. I'm so excited for this book to come out. I think people are going to love it. So congratulations. And just real quick, I need you to know that I'm going to need you to open up the flattery because I know you said that (laughs) it was something you had business plans for. And I'm, I'm going to need that because I was like, I, I need to go here. I need this to happen. So really funny story is that I did start building it um, years before this book. I'm an entrepreneur. And so I've had sort of serial, you know, startup type of things. Okay. And a girlfriend of mine named Amelia, we, this was a business idea that we had and we, we built a mock site. We never launched it, but that's where it came from was, was this business that we had intended to launch at one point. Well, I know you're doing really well as a writer and I'm very happy for you, but I also need for you to maybe work on that on the side. So you know, just, yeah, deal. Well, thank you so much for the time today. This was a pleasure and can't wait to see Love Buzz on the shelves. Thank you so much. I'm excited for your book as well. Oh, thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.